0: Uh, It's incredibly important to raise awareness of the issue because so often we find that LGBTQ people are just simply not being recognised by other awareness campaigns or um, in media or in um, government campaigns. So it's just so important that uh, LGBTQ plus communities um, feel that there is support out there for them, that they are recognised and um, there is people out there who will help them
1: in Your work before you were, you know, you became an advocate for this, you kind of dealt with domestic violence cases as more of an outsider. What prompted your advocacy and why is this work so meaningful to you?
0: Yes, I had my own experiences of domestic violence um, back in around 2012 uh, 13, and uh, you know, as a police officer, I was dealing with domestic violence cases every day, but even though I was um, in that sort of position, I wasn't recognising it in my own relationship because um, it was a case of, you know, I thought it was something that it was um, heterosexual men perpetrating violence against heterosexual um, women, and I didn't think it was something that could really affect me. So um, I guess, you know, my position in the police and not recognising it, I thought, you know, what chance have other people who are sort of working in this sort of field, you know, what chance have they got of Um, sort of being aware of what an unhealthy or healthy relationship looks like. So I went on to do a Churchill Fellowship and I went uh, over to six different countries and uh, investigated methods for police to enhance the way that they respond to domestic violence in LGBTIQ communities and it's really uh, gone from there.
1: How can domestic violence maybe look different in queer relationships as opposed to heterosexual relationships?
0: queer Relationships, there's obviously a lot of similarities to heterosexual relationships, but there's also unique methods of um, people using power and control, and they can include threats to out or reveal a partner's uh, sexuality, their gender identity, or their health status, the family friend or work colleague. Uh, there's you know, um, abuse around how a person prevent, uh, presents, sorry, so um, telling someone they're too masculine, they're too feminine, they're too butch, they're too. Femme, sort of abuse around that, that identity and the way that that person um, presents, then, uh, you know, they're stopping them from going to LGBTQ um, events, venues, preventing them from having LGBTQ friends, uh, and just access to, you know, other things, access to gender affirming um, care, gender affirming clothing. Um, so there's just a few others like that that, you know, don't necessarily affect heterosexual relationships.
1: Is there a lot of reporting on how common this is for the LGBTQ community or is that something that might still be a bit lacking?
0: Look, it's definitely lacking, but at the same time, you know, the most recent studies, um, one out of La Trobe University in Victoria on um, the Private Life 3 survey and the other one was a uh, sorting it out report out of New South Wales, the University of Western Sydney, both of those have shown that sort of around um, 62% of LGBTQ plus people have experienced uh, domestic violence in their lifetime. So, um, pretty concerning figures, but there's still definitely, um, you know, a really huge need for more research to be done in this area.
1: You've travelled internationally to consult with police departments about how to best, you know, tackle this issue and engage with the queer community. What have you found, I guess, on your Churchill Fellowship kind of travels?
0: The most important things, I guess, um, is accessibility to be able to report uh, in the first place and, um, you know, a person's comfort in being able to report. So uh, a big thing was uh, LGBTI uh, liaison officers and the availability of them and accessibility of them uh, for queer communities to report to. Another one was uh, online reporting. So being able to report online and and sort of takes that barrier away of having to go into a police station Front counter and reveal your sexuality or reveal your gender identity in you know a weight room uh, full of people um, that's not necessarily safe. So um, being able to report online um, via a form initially for sort of non-emergency purposes um, that can be a really um, useful tool. Um, but yeah, I guess they're the main two, and you know just the necessity for police to be aware of what our relationships can look like, that it's not necessarily going to be um, two cisgender gay men or two cisgender lesbians. It could be any kind of relationship with any um, sort of gender identity or sexuality Um, and being aware of that and the challenges that those people might face in reporting, why they might be apprehensive in contacting police and understanding what they can do to um, make people feel more comfortable in contacting them or approaching them.
1: Access and awareness is something you've worked on as the regional coordinator of the Queensland Police Service LGBTI liaison officer program. Can you tell me a little bit more about that program and what it's like?
0: Yeah, so the LGBTI liaison officers, uh, the volunteer role on top of your usual role, there's about 170 throughout the state um, and they just work as a sort of um, a bridge between police and LGBTQ communities, I suppose. Um, where, um, you know, if queer folk are contacting liaison officers, they know that, um, you know, they're specially trained or they're part of the community themselves a lot of the time. Uh, so they can contact those people and know that they're not going to be judged, they're not going to be, um, treated inappropriately. And then those officers can generally help them, um, getting in contact, uh, with an officer to report whatever the case may be. But, You know, personally, I found over the years that a lot of the time it's people just wanting advice um, on, you know, what the different processes are in reporting crimes or domestic violence and what their options are and where they can get referred to for support. So, uh, and then again, you know, it's the, on the other hand, it's a really great tool for police officers if they've got, um, you know, someone in a queer relationship or a queer person reporting crime and they might necessarily know what support services are available that might be um, might be good for an LGBTQ person to go to. So they ring liaison officers and find out where they can um, refer someone to appropriately.
1: Historically, there has been perhaps a distrust of police from some people in the LGBT community. You've had, you know, people had maybe some negative experiences in the past. So is that a challenge in then now introducing this program?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, relationships between police and queer communities have historically been pretty horrendous um, going back. So there's still a lot to be done, um, but there's definitely been huge strides made, um, you know, since I've been around the last sort of, Uh, 15 years Uh, when I first started I was in the closet nobody knew that I was gay Uh, I didn't know of any other gay police in the service and you know over the years um, it's got a lot better the liaison programs come a long way there's internal support networks for staff and things now Um, there's been changes to policy, changes to forms um, and some really sort of meaningful relationships between police and support services come about but um, you know, there's always going to be more to be that can be done to make those relationships better.
1: Let's talk about you know what's coming up, which is the um, LGBTQ domestic violence awareness day. That started in 2020.
0: Certainly did. So during COVID, that was about one of the only good things about COVID was um, we were originally planning a small in-person event, and COVID forced us to take it online. But taking it online meant that we then reached a far greater audience um, internationally. Uh, so I think in the first year, we had people from uh, 12 countries get involved uh, to commemorate the day or recognize the day, and it's really just grown uh, from there. It was really only going to be a one-off event originally, and we just had this overwhelming response from people saying, you know, this is the first time that... I've recognised abuse in my relationship. This is the first time I feel seen. Um, And we really, yeah, I suppose, realised how big an impact the campaign made to people in just feeling um, seen and heard that we realised we needed to um, keep it going as an annual event.
1: What are your objectives? What are your goals um, for this day?
0: So the day aims to raise awareness, obviously, of domestic and family violence in LGBTQ communities. um, And... I suppose there's a few different aspects of it. Um, one is to, for people to recognise what a healthy or an unhealthy relationship looks like so they can reflect on their own relationships, they can reflect on the relationships of their friends and family members. And if they are um, showing unhealthy characteristics, um, then knowing where to go to either find support or what they can do to you know, start a conversation with a loved one um, around domestic and family violence and getting them support if they need it or just being there for support if they need it. Um, On top of that, we look at workplaces. So making sure um, workplaces are aware that, you know, they're going to have LGBTQ plus staff who need support if they experience domestic and family violence. So it's a case of um, not waiting for if it happens. It's a case of, unfortunately, when it happens, that they're prepared and that their policies are inclusive and that they can safely refer their staff members to to appropriate
1: support. I want to talk more about how maybe people's friends or family can get involved because you've been working, you know, really hard to improve the relationship between the queer community and police forces. But um, oftentimes, you know, someone's friends or family could be the first to know if something's going on.
0: Well, yeah, more often than not, people are reporting to their friends and their family members um, about what's occurred. So really, um, I would say for friends and family members, you know, first step is to be aware of what a healthy relationship looks like, be aware of the signs of what an unhealthy one might look like and then what tools are available. So, you know, there's different resources like bystander toolkits, um, relationship relationship checklists and there's even an app called the Be There app. Um, So just being aware of resources like that and knowing how to, you know, start those conversations with friends um, or your family members, if you think they might be uh, in an unhealthy relationship, know how to start those conversations and know you know where to go from there. Basically, so it's just having having the tools to know how to respond appropriately um, and with that person's safety in mind.
1: Maybe there might be someone even even listening who maybe hasn't even taken that step, and no one knows about um, perhaps how they've been impacted by domestic violence. What advice would you give? Um, to those people who could be listening and maybe in an abusive relationship themselves?
0: Just be aware, I suppose, that there are support services out there. It doesn't matter whereabouts in the country or the state there are. There are support services online, over the phone. Um, But first and foremost, it's just a matter of keeping yourself safe. Only a person who's experiencing domestic and family violence is the one who knows how to keep themselves safe and um, when is the right time for them to to leave, um, should they want to leave. So um, again, it's a case of, you know, looking at things like um, safety planning, making sure you've got a safety plan for and work out when you're most safe and when you're not feeling safe, what you can do, who you can contact, where you can go. Um, so having sort of um, plans in place so that um, if violence or abuse does occur, um, you've got a plan about what you can do rather than trying to work it out at the time can be quite helpful.
1: Moving forward, is there anything that you would like to see change or improve more broadly?
0: Look, there's always a huge amount of improvements. Um, I think first and foremost is just, um greater accessibility to services um, at the moment, um, depending on where you are in the country or in the state, depends on what sort of access services uh, you have or what services can provide for you. So I think first and foremost, um, just equal access to support when we need it the most. Um, is a huge one and just to greater recognition by um, support services, government departments and that sort of thing that, you know, domestic and family violence is something that affects all communities Um, and unfortunately um, it affects our communities at an incredibly high rate. So um, it's not until it's sort of recognised that we can start looking at, um, you know, support services and government departments can start appropriately supporting people in those relationships.
1: If there's someone listening and they want to get involved raising awareness or supporting LGBTQ Domestic Violence Awareness Day, how can they get involved?
0: So if they visit our website, which is Dvafoundation.org. there is a huge amount of information on there about how to get involved. Um, And we've even created a toolkit, uh, which has a step-by-step process of the many different ways you can get involved. It could be by taking a pledge to show your support, Support for victims and survivors, and help change that conversation around domestic and family violence. Um, it could be hosting an activity at work or at home or in your community, um, starting a fundraising um, sort of campaign in your workplace, or your school, or university, um, or just you know getting involved by spreading the word about the awareness day through social media. There's a bunch of resources there around uh, social media tiles and things like that that people can share. Um, on their own social media, so plenty of ways to get involved, and it can be as easy as posting something to your socials.
1: What are your plans for next Sunday? Where will you be?
0: Who knows? It's a very busy day normally, but a mixture of um, mixture of media interviews and um, you know looking after all things online um, to make sure everything runs smoothly on the day. So, um, but yeah, we've got a couple of other events. We do have one. We've got a morning tea at the. Pride Centre happening in Victoria uh, a few days beforehand and, uh, yeah, a couple of things happening around the country, but, um, yeah, always a good good day and um, it's always really heartwarming to see the positive messages coming out of it with, um, you know, people from previous years sort of saying, you know, it was this campaign that made me recognise abuse in my own relationship and helped me to get out and be safe, so it's always um, really nice to see uh, the effect that the day can have on people.